Good morning. And a warm welcome to the service this morning. It's good to see uh, everyone here, and good to know also uh, there are some who are watching online at a distance. And it's good to have uh, some visiting with us. It's good to have uh, some who are not visitors, but uh, who've been away, uh, moved away for a period, and who are back. I see Nanny and various others. Uh, and so it's good to come together once more and uh, to, to worship God. So once again, uh, Thomas, it's great to have you. And uh, I'll hand over now to you to lead us in worship. Thanks. thanks very much indeed, David. And thanks to you all for your warm welcome. It's lovely to see you all here today. Uh, and we're so thankful to God that we have this opportunity uh, to worship together at the beginning of a new week, meeting in the name of a risen Saviour, Jesus Christ. We'll pray together in Gaelic. Janovich, only. Ye Amen. Uh, we'll turn to read God's word in Romans. Romans chapter 8, and we're going to read from verse 18, the middle chunk of the chapter, and 
we've been looking at these uh, verses in the middle of Romans 8. We've uh, started at verse 12 uh, and we're working down uh, to around verse 23, 24, um, 25. I want to read today from verse 18 down to verse 30. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Amen. This is God's word, and may he bless it to us all. As we turn back to God's word, let's just pray for a moment together. Father, we just ask and pray for your help now as we turn to your word. We pray that by your spirit you would be working among us and enabling us to see more and more of of you and of what you've done for us through your son, our saviour Jesus. Please may your blessing be upon us and upon all across the world who are meeting um, to study your word and to praise your name today. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. I'd like us to turn back to Romans chapter 8, the passage that we read. And uh, as I said, we've been working through these uh, verses in the middle of Romans 8 uh, over this weekend, and um, uh, we're going to carry on our wee mini-series, if you like, uh, today. Um, I kind of uh, jumbled up the order a wee bit, because tonight uh, um, I want us to to go back to verse 18, but this morning I want us to to, to pick up the reading at verse 19, um, and we can read verses 19 to 22 together, because uh, these are the words that uh, I'd like us to focus on, particularly in relation to Uh, the Lord's Supper. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. As we've been saying, Romans 8 is one of the most remarkable chapters um, in the whole of the Bible. It is so full uh, of rich teaching. And we're only looking at a few verses um, 
I think we would need our communion weekend to last a month if we were going to go all the way through Romans 8. It's, a, uh, it's such a rich and wonderful chapter. And one of the things that makes it so wonderful is that it speaks about all the blessings that are ours in Christ. It starts off with a great statement that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And it goes on to talk about all the implications of what union with Christ has brought. And as we saw last night, um, in many ways, one of the real high points of that is the fact that, that we are brought into God's family as his adopted children. So there's so much in Romans 8 that's so personal and so meaningful uh, to us as Christians. Paul is uh, giving us a wonderful reminder of the blessings that we have as individuals and as a collective people through faith in Jesus Christ. And all of that is reminding us that Jesus doesn't make a tiny difference to your life. Jesus makes a massive difference. And that's true for now, and it's true for eternity. So in many ways, Paul is focusing a lot on what we have as Christians, and that's a brilliant thing for us to think about. But then all of a sudden, in verse 19, he kind of goes off at a wee tangent, and he starts talking about creation. And the fascinating thing is that in these verses that are on the screen, verses 19 to 22, Paul talks about the fact that the gospel is not simply good news for people. It is good news for the whole universe. And in these three remarkable verses, Paul gives us an insight into the implications of the cross for the created universe. And I think that's a remarkable thing for us to think about. Often, you know, we we come uh, to the Lord's table and we are are recognizing the amazing implications of the cross for ourselves. And that's a wonderful thing for us to do. The fact that through Jesus' death and resurrection, we can be saved and brought into um, God's family. And so, you know, for us, we think, well, for me, the cross is massive and it's made such a difference. What Paul is teaching us here and what I hope we're going to see is that for the whole universe, the cross is is massive and has made such a difference. And one of the things we must always remember that when we come to the Lord's table, on the one hand, we are looking back. It's a great act of remembrance. But at the same time, we are looking forward, looking forward to something amazing. And I think that's where Paul is pointing us in these verses. So in the verses before you, Paul is talking about the universe, and as he does so, he personifies the universe. In other words, he writes as if the universe were able to communicate like a person. So in other words, what I think Paul is basically saying is this. He's saying, if the universe could talk, this is what it would say. So what is Paul saying? What are the implications of the gospel for the universe? Well, this is what I want us to think about. And to help us do that, we're going to structure our thoughts around two questions. We're going to ask, what has happened to the universe? And we're going to ask, what is going to happen to the universe? So first of all, what's happened to the universe? In these verses, Paul is wanting us to think about the universe's story. So you think about, you know, We talk about ourselves, we'll talk about our own story. Paul just wants us to think here about the universe's story. And you can see that if you look a little bit more closely at the verses. Because you can see in verse 19, he talks about what the universe is doing now. There's a present waiting. The creation waits. Verse 20 talks about the past. You can see that in the word was. The creation was. 
subjected. And then in verse 21, he talks about the future. Creation itself will be set free. So in these verses, our minds are being drawn towards the whole history of the universe. Past, present and future. So what is that story? What's happened to the universe? Well, one of the things that's really interesting about the Bible is that the story of the universe is actually the very first history that the Bible gives to us. If you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, you may know that the book of Genesis can be split into ten unequal sections. So the book of Genesis is divided into ten chunks. They're all of varying lengths, but they all begin with a statement that more or less says something like, these are the generations of. So you go through Genesis, you'll see that in 5.1, this is the book of the generations of Adam. 6.9, these are the generations of Noah. 37, these are the generations of Jacob. And there's others as well. And you can spot them if you read through Genesis in a one-hour. Each of these is telling a particular story about an individual and their family. But do you know what the first one is? It's the story of the heavens and the earth. And in chapters 2, 3, and 4 of Genesis, we're told what that story is. And that story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. The beginning is wonderful. Genesis 2 gives this stunning description of the perfect world that God has created. And that beauty is echoing the stunning descriptions we have in Genesis 1, where God brings life and order into the created realm. So the beginning is wonderful. And the high point of that beginning is humanity. Man and woman together, God's family being established, and the people of God dwelling in God's creation to serve him, glorify him, and to bear God's image. The beginning is wonderful. The middle is tragic. In Genesis 3, humanity, who were created as the high point of this creation, rebel against their creator And that fall of humanity where we sinned against God changed the history of the universe. The result is that creation is now under a curse. 317, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. And very quickly, the order and beauty of God's creation in Genesis 1 and 2 descends into horrible chaos in Genesis 4. You read of murder, domination, arrogance, fear, hostility. The world that was created very good is now very broken. And that shift from order to chaos is still visible around us. We can still see that the universe is created as a thing of beauty. Driving from Carloway to Tarbert this morning was stunning. There's something so majestic. Whether it's the mountains, the flowers outside that you can see down to the beach Uh, And the shore, the sunshine, all these things still display the beauty that God has made. But the world is also broken. And it can hurt us. And people are toiling to survive. And alongside that brokenness in creation is the fact that our relationship towards that creation has shifted from order towards chaos. In the beginning, in Genesis 1, God gave humanity dominion over the created realm. Now that dominion was in terms of of an exercise of responsibility. The biblical concept of rule and dominion is never one where you're like just the boss and you can do what you like. It's always one 
of responsibility whereby you are to look after that which is under your authority. It's never an excuse to abuse the world that we've been given, but that's exactly what we've done. Through our sin, we've, we've rejected God's command to care for the creation. And instead, we thought that our sense of authority over creation means that we can just exploit and abuse the world to further our own interests. And we see that very much in our own day, um, particularly in environmental damage that, that humanity has done and continues to do. And it's such an interesting question. You know, why does humanity destroy the world? Why do we muck up the world that we live in? Because it seems so stupid to willfully wreck our, our habitat for short-term gain. You know, it's a bit like, you know, you live in your house, you, know, you think you've got a really nice house, you get it really nice, and, you know, you think to yourself, you know, oh, I'm just going to, you know, I'm feeling a bit cold tonight, so I think I'll just set my floor on fire. You would never do that. It would warm you up for a few hours, but it would ruin your house. And you think, why does humanity do the same with the world around us? And the biblical answer to that question is that sin has brought chaos into the world. And within our sinful hearts, there is a desire to rebel against the responsibility that God has given us to look after the world. It's a great reminder that caring for the environment around us is always honouring to God, whether that's a community cleanup or avoiding dropping litter or being careful about your electricity consumption. These are all things that we do not just to kind of care for the environment, but we actually do them to honour and obey God. The key point, though, is that creation has descended from order to chaos. The beautiful world around us is broken and creation is under a curse. Now, Paul describes this in Romans 8 here. And he uses three fascinating phrases to do so. He says that the creation is subjected to futility. He says it's in bondage to corruption and it's in the pains of childbirth. Now, I think it's fascinating the choice of words and phrases that Paul uses. Just imagine that you were way back in school and you were in your, your science class and they picked on you and they said, you know, can you just describe the universe in three sentences? Would you ever say, well, it's subject to futility in bondage to corruption in the pains of childbirth? You'd never say that. And yet that's what Paul chooses to say. So what does he mean? Well, first of all, he says that creation is subjected to futility. Now that word futility is really interesting because it basically means vanity. It's the word that was used, um, it was the word to use to translate the term in the Old Testament that we get in Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And so it's conveying this idea of emptiness, of nothingness, of pointlessness. In other words, it's saying that the creation is, has been broken and as a result it's no longer fit for purpose. So the world that was originally created to be this wonderful habitat in which we could live as God's people bearing God's image has been ruined. It's no longer fit for purpose. It's no longer fulfilling the purpose that God created it to have. As Paul says, it's been subjected to to futility. And so the curse imposed after the fall has brought a sense of frustration and hindrance and emptiness into the great purpose that the universe originally had. And our experience backs this up. Because how often is life frustrating? How often do things happen in the world that seem to make no sense? 
How often do we see people who just can't seem to find meaning in the world around us? There's a futility in everything. And that futility comes from the fact that we've rejected God. And that's why people who reject God and the people who really think that through and who take it to its logical conclusion, the people who say, well, there's no God, and they think through the implications of that all the way to its logical conclusion, they, they always come to the same destination. They always conclude that life is pointless. Because without God, we're simply tiny specks on a tiny planet living for a tiny period who ultimately don't matter. And that's why all around us there are people who, instead of looking at the universe and thinking, wow, look at what God made for us, instead people are looking at the universe and saying, is there any meaning to life at all? Paul is recognising that that the curse of creation has meant that the world has lost a key aspect of its purpose. And that that loss of purpose manifests itself. And the next thing that Paul says, he says that it's in bondage to corruption. That term corruption is basically implying that the world is rotting. And the term bondage implies the fact that we can't escape from that. As Paul says, the creation was not willingly subjected to futility. But the result is that the beautiful world that, world that God made to thrive is now rotting and decaying. And we see that in loads of different ways. We see that in the environment. We see that the thriving nature that God created is battling against decay and ruin. So animals become extinct. Diseases continue to spread. Irreparable damage is done to the environment. But it's not just the environment this affects. It also affects behavior. So you look at the animal world. You can see that it's hostile. Sometimes it's just brutal. And even humanity, we can only hang our heads in shame in terms of how we've behaved towards one another across the ages of history. And this is one of the times where the biblical doctrine is so easy to prove because if if you look at the news today or this week and ask yourself the question, is the world rotten? The answer is obvious. And that corruption, that rotting is dominant over nature at this present time. The creation is enslaved to this. It's like an illness that the creation can't recover from and that results in a lot of pain, sorrow and suffering in our lives as well. And so the result of all this is that creation right now is not the way it was made to be and it is not the way it wants to be. And that's brought home to us in the third phrase that Paul uses in verse 22 because he says that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. That Here Paul, Paul's choice of words is superb because he uses a remarkable and vivid image of childbirth to describe the situation that the world is in right now. And that's teaching us two very important things because firstly, childbirth is sore. And so it's reminding us that the current state of creation is not one of peace or harmony. It is one of agony, likened to a woman in labor. But the second thing that Paul reveals in this image is that childbirth is the precursor to something wonderful. So although the pain of labor is immense, it leads to the incredible joy when a precious baby is born. And so 
Whilst this image is conveying the present agony and distress of the universe, it's also expressing the fact that something brilliant is coming. And that brings us to our second question, what will happen to the universe? What's going to happen? Remember we said the universe has a beginning. The world was created by God to be the habitat where we could live as God's family, serving him, bearing his image. The story of creation has a middle where where the fall of humanity has brought a curse, where the world is broken and corrupt and no longer fulfilling the purpose that it was meant to have. But the story of the universe also has an end. We've got a beginning where it was broken, a middle, a beginning where it was made, made good, wonderful, a middle which was tragic, but the universe, the story of the universe also has an end. And interestingly, even back in Genesis, there's hints of this. Because in Genesis 3, God responds to the fall and he does so by promising that the serpent whose actions led to the fall will be crushed. And then when Adam names his wife Eve, he is recognizing that God has brought the promise of hope into humanity's experience because she's not going to be the mother of the dead. She's going to be the mother of the living. And Paul reinforces this point when he says that that when creation was subjected to futility, As part of God's judgment in the aftermath of the fall, that subjection was in hope that the creation itself would be set free. So that means that even within the brokenness of the universe now, there is an end in view. There's a hope of something better. And the Bible tells us that that God's great plan is to recreate the universe so that the world that we live in now will be restored And renewed to what it was meant to be. Remember back at the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis tells us the story of the generations of the heavens and the earth. And then you go to the very end of the Bible. What do you find? You find the glorious vision of a new heavens and a new earth in Revelation 21. And, and, And it's all there to tell us that if we are trusting in Jesus. We can look forward to all the beauty and wonder and joy. Of the new creation. But what I want us to notice is that in the midst of all this, Paul tells us something remarkable about what the creation is hoping for. So we're thinking about this journey, we think about creation created wonderful at the beginning, in the middle, tragic, broken, damaged. And then in the future, it's going to be renewed and restored, a wonderful new creation and so you think to yourself you know well the the creation is longing for that moment longing you know for Jesus's return when everything will be put right well yes and no because there's something very particular that the universe is hoping for that these verses reveal we would naturally think that the creation is longing for the return of Jesus Creation is longing for the restorative work of God. Creation is longing for all that God is going to do in terms of putting it right. And no doubt that's true. But it's not what Paul says. So what does he say? What is creation hoping for? He says that creation is eagerly longing 
for the revealing of the sons of God. And creation is hoping for the freedom of the glory of the children of God. In other words, in terms of what creation is looking forward to, the focus is not directly on God. The focus is on you as a Christian. Why is that? Why does Paul make such a direct link between the restoration of creation and the family of God? Why is there such a clear link between the universe and you in these verses? Why does the universe long for the day when your salvation is fully completed at the return of Jesus? Why is that? Well, I think the answer is as follows. We've been saying that creation has lost its sense of purpose. It's subject to futility. In other words, right now the universe is not what it's meant to be. So we have to ask, what was the universe meant to be? What was its purpose? What do you think the universe was created for? And the answer to that question is that the universe was made to be your home. Your home. The universe was created to be a wonderful environment where humanity could live as the family of God. Therefore, the reason why creation is longing for the future is because creation is longing to be a perfect home for you. The whole purpose of creation is to be a perfect environment for you to live in as God's people. And that's why the creation longs For the full salvation of God's people. It longs for the resurrection on the last day. When our bodies are reunited with our souls. When we are eternally free from the decay of sin. And from the effect of the curse. And on that day creation will finally be able to fulfill its purpose. To be a perfect home for God's family. No wonder the creation is longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Because that will be the day when the curse is gone. And when perfect order will return. And that makes perfect sense because all it's doing is simply taking the universe back to what it was meant to be in the first place. In other words, the universe longs for your full salvation because the universe was made for you. It was made to be a home for you. And it longs for the day when that purpose will finally be fulfilled and I think that is amazing the universe is longing for you because you are its purpose this whole creation was created for you and surely that tells you how special you are in the sight of God If you go back to Genesis 1 and 2, one thing is abundantly clear. Humanity is special. Humanity is different. It's not just another part of creation. Humanity is is the occupant of that creation. God made this universe so that we could live in it as his family, so that we could know him and serve him and love him. There's a sense in which the universe is an extraordinary gift from God to us it was made for us as a place where we can live 
And the reason that I want to say all of this is because there's a crucial implication that, that every single one of us needs to recognize that comes from all of this. What we need to see, what I want us to see, is that all of this is reminding us of the fact that, that a worldview, an understanding of the world around us that doesn't have God in it, so in other words, a non-biblical worldview, will always devalue humanity. A non-biblical worldview will devalue humanity. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, think about it like this. Some people reject God. Maybe people you know, people in your family, and they just conclude, you know, there's no God, there's ultimately no meaning, and therefore everything at a most basic level is pretty much pointless. Humanity is just another cog in this massive machine that originates in some thing that will eventually collapse into some sort of nothing. Ultimately, we're nothing more than just a thing. Everything's basically pointless. Now, a lot of people hold that view, but if you think about it too much, it leads to horrible depression. And you can see that very clearly in the history of the last 100 years. You look at at some of the most gifted artists and musicians and things like that who held this view and who thought it through to its logical conclusion, and they ended up producing artwork that was really quite hideous and depressing. Most people don't tend to think about it that much. They prefer to just try and forget about it. And so they seek to create an illusion of meaning in their life. And they seek to find some kind of meaning in the universe. And what people will often do in that is that they'll end up treating the universe as a kind of God in itself. So some people will will talk about sort of nature or fate or or force or something like that. That has some kind of authority over us that we want to live in harmony with. Others might not you know, go as far as to call the universe like a god or anything like that, but, but they still regard nature as something that should be served. So today there's many people who are very sincere and very well-meaning, who are passionate about caring for the environment or looking after animals or trying to do good to the world around us. And that's a good thing in so many ways. But what I want us to see is that all of these approaches are devaluing humanity. The view that looks at the universe and says that life is pointless is saying that a human being is worth no more than a stone or a rat or a germ. The view that makes a god out of the universe devalues humanity because it's saying that it's more important than us. Ultimately, the universe is is more significant than humanity. And the view that wants to care for the environment for the sake of the environment also devalues humanity because it makes us the servants of the universe. The Bible says something very different. The best that the world offers us is to say that we can find purpose looking after the universe. The Bible says that the universe finds purpose looking after you. The Bible tells us that we are not pointless objects in a pointless universe. We're not subordinate creatures under the rule of the universe. We're not servants who need to try and find purpose in the universe. The Bible tells us that you're far, far more special than any of that. You are created to be the child of God. And the universe was created to be the place where you could all live. And yes, sin has ruined that. But Jesus came to fix it. And so when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he didn't just deal with my problem. 
He dealt with the universe's problem. He didn't just do it to restore us. He did it to restore the whole creation. And now we are looking forward to that day when he returns and he brings us all into a new heavens and a new earth. And creation itself is longing, groaning for that day when it can finally be the perfect home for God's perfect family. And I think this is absolutely amazing because it means that, that you can stand today and think about the cross and it shows you how special you are. But you can also go and climb a hill and look out over the beautiful views all around us and it tells you how special you are. You can stand and look at the stars in the sky tonight and see the vast universe that God has made and it's all for you, for us where we can live together as God's family. And that's where we see that it is in the message of the gospel, in the work of Jesus Christ, it's in him that the whole universe fits together. The whole of creation is centered on God's plan to make a perfect place for his family to live together where where he himself can dwell with us. That's why hell is described as outside Because it's outside of all of that. But the new creation will be a perfectly restored universe. That's everything that God wants it to be for us. And where we will be everything that God wants us to be for him. And God wants every single one of you to be part of that. And this is where we see just how absolutely amazing the gospel is. You think of the huge story from beginning to end, the story of the heavens and the earth in the beginning of creation all the way through to the new heavens and the new earth in Revelation. You think of the whole of the universe. You think of of the whole of God's plan of salvation. You think of, of how it's all centered on Jesus Christ. You think about how the fact that Jesus came, died and rose again to pay the penalty for our sins, to deliver the whole of creation from bondage, to set the universe on a path towards restoration, to give us all hope. You think of everything that Jesus has done and all he asks you to do in return is trust him. That is incredible. All he asks you to do is trust him. And if we trust him, whether you've been trusting him for many years or whether you start right now, you will be adopted into God's family. You become the heir to a glorious future. And creation itself, the universe itself, is longing for that day when we'll all be brought home. Amen. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you so much for everything that you've done for us through your Son, our Lord Jesus. And we realize that even in these few verses, we, we, we recognize that we're only just getting a glimpse of the magnitude of what you've achieved for us. And we pray, O oh God, that our minds would be expanded and that, we would, that, that 
that it would never be the case that we just keep part of that we keep our faith in you to just confine to part of our lives but that that no matter what part of the universe we are looking at and thinking about that we would recognize that it's all your work and all part of your plan and we thank you for the incredible place that you give to us in that plan and we pray for people who think that they're a waste of space or who think that their life is pointless or who can't make sense of the world. We pray that the truth and reality of the gospel would help them to see just how precious they are. May that be true of us all, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.